Hello and welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson. And we've got a new face this week, bedding in new signings in February. It's Kieran McLaughlin from Who Scored. And Kieran, I've already learned your surname quicker than I ever managed to learn Ben's. Welcome to the show, even though, even though you're Who Scored. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here and uh, glad to meet a Villa fan this week after last weekend's result. Oh, superb. No one told me that you were an Arsenal fan. Absolutely <laughs> great stuff. I was about to say, Jonathan, nice to freshen up with, with, with a new face, try and bed in the new signings. Anything that keeps Ben out the side is good by me. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very, very, very hard. You're a harsh taskmaster. You are, If I wasn't here, you'd say exactly the same thing about me if there was a different host for an episode. Kieran, your first task is to announce the Champions League team of the round. Yeah, so we've got a 4-4-2, um, starting off with Kevin Trappingall. We've got back four of Giovanni De Lorenzo, Eda Militao, Kim Minjay and Marcel Hans-Stenberg. In midfield, we've got Hervin Lozano, Luke Modric, Hakan Kauhango, and then Vinicius Jr. And up front, Benzema and Victor Osiman. Some tough ones to pronounce there on your on your maiden voyage <laughs> into, in, in, into announcing teams. Jonathan, Champions League was back this week. I always think Champions League is my favourite form of football. It's just always good. Yeah, the knockout stage of the Champions League. I mean, it's there's so much wrong with football and the way it's funded and and, and um, the people who own clubs. And yet, the Champions League knockouts is, I think, comfortably the best drama. Yeah, in terms of consistency, it's comfortably the best drama in sport. Yeah. And even the you know, first legs of last sixteen are obviously yeah. the you know, the least important bit, the least exciting bit of a knockout phase. And yet, already they've been so many stories, so many things have happened. Yeah, that 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 Liverpool Real Madrid tie felt like a like a two legged tie in in one. Um, Napoli we saw being being really good again. The English sides by and large struggling. Uh, Leipzig City was a, a sort of low key, kind of interesting. You know, City again dominating a game, not taking full advantage and being pegged back. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's been a. I, I wouldn't say it's been sort of barn burning yet, but it's been gently intriguing and I think pretty. Apart from that. I suppose you said Napoli are probably through and Real Madrid probably through, but but really that aside, nicely set up for second legs. Yeah, I, I would say you, you just know that as it gets to the quarterfinals, the semifinals, the final, you just know that good games are, are incoming. And like you say, the Champions League is the most consistent form of, of entertaining football. Kieran, let's talk a little bit about that Liverpool game. Worth saying as well that you're here doing the podcast today. And it sounds like everyone else who scored is at a party. <laughs> And you've been you've just been stitched up and just thrown in for this week because you're the youngest or or something. We, we all know Martin Lawrence, Martin Lawrence is quite old, and you've just been thrown in to to do the podcast because there's some form of party going on at Who's Good. It, it does sound like it today. I think everyone seems to have joined the party, and I, as you said, the youngest and the newest gets thrown in at the deep end. But uh, no, it was kind of that um, Liverpool and Real Madrid game was almost like a party. It was both end to end, like it was. Awful defending, awful goalkeeping. You know, yeah. even Courtois on the winning side, his rating was about five point thirteen, I think it was. Um, but yeah, it was a chaos game. But that's what you want in the Champions League knockout, especially when you're kind of a neutral uh, coming into it. But all to play for in the other games, um, I, I believe. But that one, I think, uh, that's pretty much finished for Liverpool. Yeah, Liverpool were back. For 10 minutes and then unfortunately <laughs> they were back to what they've been doing for, for, for the rest of the season. We're not here to talk about the Champions League, we're here to preview the weekend's action. So we're going to start with Tottenham against Chelsea. Jonathan Graham Potter, it is not going very well at all. If Chelsea were to lose here, I know he's been backed, but this, this happens all the time. If they were to lose again, lose to Tottenham, do you think this, this would be it for him? Do, do you think he's got the season regardless, or do you think if the results continue in the manner that they are? He'll get let go. And it's really difficult to say. The, the board, everything they they sort of say in public, everything they're briefing is they're going to be patient and they they've got faith in Potter. Um, I think if you look at the underlying numbers, they're they're not bad. You know, Chelsea's problems with scoring goals are, predate him. You know, they, they they didn't have a centre forward. They they brought in uh, Lukaku. That didn't work out. They still don't have a centre forward. And Kunku almost certainly coming in the summer should solve that. But if you look at the nine games since the World Cup, nine league games since the World Cup, they've only picked up 10 points. But they've had the better XG in, in seven of those games. And if you you um, consider a game where the XG is within 0.5 as a draw 
I mapped that out in terms of points per game. They'd have had 20 points in those nine games as opposed to 10 points. And those 10 extra points would have them up, uh, you know, right in the battle for, for fourth and fifth. So do you just say, well, this will be fine when they get a centre forward? Or do you say, well, you know, this is a problem Pot had at Brighton as well. Is, has he just been unlucky that he's had two clubs without centre forwards or without goals from centre forwards? Or is it something in the way he plays that means that the, the teams don't take chances? And, and I, I think you, you have to have a much much more detailed um, understanding of, 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 of the stats and a much more detailed analytic approach to, to, to have a real idea which is true there. I think the big danger for Potter is that the, the I think fans, a lot of them have already lost, lost faith in him. If players start to lose faith as well, it's very, very hard to get that back. He looks weary, doesn't he? And the problem with the Chelsea fans is that they're used to when a manager's not doing well, they just get replaced. So this is this is a new thing for a manager to be being given this amount of time, I guess. Do you think, Jonathan, that anyone would struggle with this Chelsea side, especially when you look at all the new signings they've got to integrate as well? Do you think it's not necessarily a Potter problem? Any manager could be there and this would be a struggle right now. It's not easy. I mean, um, yeah, Tuchel, who obviously is, a, is an exceptional manager, was struggling last season, beginning of this season. Um, you've then had you know, two waves of signings, which don't seem to have very much to do with each other. Uh, there's also a problem. If you sign a lot of um, young players for huge amounts of money, there's an expectation when you spend money that you'll have instant success. But these are young players, so you can't really expect them to have instant success. Any club where you bring in that volume of players, it's difficult to, to work out your patterns, to get people playing together. Um, and it's even worse when some of those players are uh, uh, yeah, probably not going to be reaching their peak for three, four, five, six years. So I, th I think it's a hugely difficult project. Would other managers with, say, a more overt charisma, a more defined attacking style, would would they have a more instant impact? Maybe, but but maybe in the long term, you know that that's the part part is what they need. The problem is that he might not get a long term because if results keep going against him, then fans, players, and ultimately the board will will turn. Yeah, that Southampton result felt like a, a real bad one when you're losing to the bottom of the league at, at Stamford Bridge. That's a huge, huge problem. Kevin, you're a new signing. You know what it's like trying to bed into things. It, it can be difficult. But two of the two of Chelsea's new signings, they've been the standout players for them so far. Yeah, Enzo Fernandez and Badia Schill, you know, they've been two of the top-rated jam signings for any club. Uh, they are the top two. And, you know, they're two of Chelsea's top-rated players. Of course, they haven't played enough games to get a full picture. But at the same time, since they've played, they've only conceded twice in that time. And we've already seen that they look confident, um, confident on the ball. Enzo Fernandez, you know, he's still doing his thing. You know, he's got six accurate long balls for 90. He's averaging, you know, he's still playing the same game he did back in Portugal. You know, so he's embedded into the league very quickly. Paddy Schill looks very solid at the back. You know, it's very hard for any attacker to, get, you know, impose themselves on him. You know, he, he wins the majority of his aerial duels. And to be honest, like with Chelsea, defensively, they've actually been quite good this season. It just seems to be an attack where they seem to have the problems. Um, but they seem to have built this spine with these two. And um, But yeah, like I said, they've only conceded 23 goals, which, you know, I think only Newcastle conceded less. So it's just the, the problems up front because they've only scored 23 goals. But, you know, they signed all these attacking players. And it's like, like Jonathan said, it's just about embedding them in. And with the other players, it does take time. Um, but yeah, I think I think Graham Potter should be given time. I think he is a good manager. I do personally think this job might have been too soon for him um, coming from Brighton, but he, he he's got the technical quality, so I think he can turn it around. I was surprised to learn that actually. I didn't I didn't realise Chelsea had the second best defensive record in in the in the league. Jonathan, that completely escaped me. But like you say, you know, is Potter maybe trying to build a platform at that at that end and then and then try and work it from there, get the defence sorted and then we'll work on the attack later. Because if he's trying to do that, he has got the defence sorted, but the attack is not sorted at all. Well, I mean, that's how it was at Brighton, isn't it? The defensively, they're very sound. And to an extent, he'd inherited a very um, uh, a very sound defence from Chris Hutton. Uh, I think his way of defending is slightly different. You know, I think he's a much more uh, pressing-oriented coach than, than Hutton was. Um, but I, I you know at Brighton the problem was was scoring goals. Now, when you spend six hundred million quid over a year, you would think you would have enough to to, to score goals. But they don't have a centre forward yet. 
Um, the fact that Nkunku has been lined up suggests they're, they're aware of that as an issue. Um, but I just sort of, it just, it just, Chelsea feels so odd at the minute. It's sort of in this holding pattern. And, you know, it, imagine if they hadn't spent all the money. And if it if it won one of the last ten games, which is the one they're on, there'd be open rebellion. They'd be like, "He's got to go. He's got to be sacked." It's almost like spending the money has insulated him because it's like, well, that, you know, we put in so many players. Of course, you can't expect instant results, which I think is logical, but it does feel sort of paradoxical. Um, and I, I guess from Chelsea's point of view, uh, they're probably not going to get top four now. Um, whoever that you know, well, if, if they sack Potter tomorrow and bring in somebody new, would they reach top four? Probably not. So, to that extent, you might as well let it go to the end of the season, and then you've got more more evidence to work with rather than bringing somebody in. I mean, you know, clearly your, your options for you bringing would be reduced if you did it now, whereas in the summer, you'd have a it'd be much easier to, to entice a longer term option. So, I, I, I don't. I don't really see any sense in, in in getting rid of Potter now before the end of the season. If they had been going to get rid of him, I think it would have had to have been sort of a month ago, so they still had a realistic chance of getting top four. Yeah, I do think managers always need a pre-season. It's very hard to judge a manager when they haven't had time to a full time to get their ideas across. Chelsea would have had a lot of players at the World Cup as well, so he wouldn't have had that little break to integrate his ideas and then suddenly an influx of players. So I think I do think Potter has had it a bit rough, but there's no doubt the results need to improve because those results, even with all the new signings and all the internal and external factors, those results for Chelsea aren't good enough at the moment. Let's move on to Tottenham then and someone that I've waxed lyrical about many times on this podcast, Emerson Royale. <laughs> Emerson Royale and Ben Davies, Jonathan, the combination that we, we didn't know we needed. Yeah, I mean, Emerson Royale's been brilliant this last sort of four or five weeks, which I have to say I didn't see coming. I, I, I just couldn't see what he did. He just seemed to run up and down a lot, but his you know, final ball, you know, his, his shooting seemed dreadful. But he's he somehow got that right. Um, and, yeah, that, that goal they scored, uh, the first goal against West Ham, the link-up between the two two wing-backs is, is classic Antonio Conte football. Uh, I'm not quite sure what they're doing that far forward. I'm not quite sure what West Ham's defending was about. But, you know, it, it worked. Uh, and then you had the, you know, the, the classic Kane that's on to, to finish it off. So it was a, it was a very a very typical Conte era Tottenham win, which we, they haven't been doing recently. Forget about Kane and Son, Jonathan. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about <laughs> Emerson Royale, ex Ben Davis. That, that's, that's where it's all at here. That, that, that link up. I'm looking forward to seeing that again at, at the weekend. Talking of Son, Kieran, in danger of becoming a little bit of a super sub because he's come off the bench and scored again. He's been bang off form when, when he's been starting. Is there an argument now that he should be used as an impact sub in Richarlison start? Yeah, I mean, like when you have that sort of quality on the, on the bench, you know, it does scare defences, you know, draining their energy all the game to know someone like Son's coming on. I mean, teams like City have that privilege of bringing, you know, that sort of quality on. And of course, two of his seven best rated performances have actually come from the bench, including that one against Leicester, where, of course, he scored a hat-trick. Um, he's not had the most prolific season this year, but um, only one of his goals have actually come when he started so you know in some ways maybe he does play better from the bench and they've definitely got options uh of players who can start obviously Kane, Kudovesky, Richarlison, they've got, they've got Dan Jumba in, obviously they've got Lucas Moura potentially you know so they've got a lot of um attacking options who can start the game but you know I think you know when you see someone like Son who's got that skill speed and the quality he can score goals if you, when he finds his confidence again he can create chances and, you know, I just don't think defenders will want to come up against that, you know, after they've been drained all game, after playing against, you know, Kane, for example. To then see Son coming on, you know, it's quite a scary sight. And as I said, he seems to be performing better from the bench. So it could be something that he could go with. Jonathan, if you're a football manager and you miss maybe three or four games, it is he's missed now, Antonio Conte, and your team wins every game when you're not there. Are you slightly concerned? <laughs> um I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just stay away because keep keep taking the cash and uh, you know, on you go, lads. You seem to have got the basics. Yeah, just, um, they just seem they seem to marvel in him not being there. I, I I guess I guess you do start to to worry that that um, you know could it be that his intensity, his his sort of touchline antics, somehow put pressure on players and 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 they they're more relaxed when he's not there. Um, 
I mean, I wonder then if, if it might be a case from sort of sitting on the stand, at least for the first half, which Bob Paisley used to do at Liverpool, for instance, that he felt he got a better better idea of the shape of the game by sitting in the stand. Then sometimes he'd wander down at the touchline second half, but often he just pass on the instructions because he, you know, he, I mean, Paisley was quite a sort of, um, quite a shy bloke and you wouldn't necessarily be a, a big screamer from the bench. Uh, so there, there might be something in that. I mean, I, 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 I think at this stage, you're probably just thinking, well, it shows I've set them up well. It shows I've, I've picked the right staff that even when I'm not there, they can they can get on with it. Um, but I mean, Conte's had a really rough few months. Uh, yeah, yeah. With in terms of people close to him dying, and then then the the gallbladder. Um, so I, I think from his point of view, yeah, he just needs to take some time away and get himself right. And and if when he comes back, Tottenham are still in the the, the, the fight for fourth, will will great and 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 on they go. Yeah, I, mean, I guess the worrying thing would be more that when he was there, when he came back against Leicester and Milan, they lost both games and they got absolutely pummeled but by Leicester as well. But fair play to Christian Stellini because whenever he has come in, Spurs have, have looked solid. Although I will say they came up against the West Ham side who I've got absolutely no idea what their game plan was on Sunday at all. I can't work out how they thought they were going to take even a point from that game with, with the team that they lined up with. It's combined 11 time, Kieran. What's the algorithm thrown up for us? So for the Chelsea Tottenham game, we've we've done a three four three, um, and Tottenham just edge it with one uh, six to five. So we've got Kepper in goal. Uh, he's got one of the best save success rates in the division. Uh, three at the back we've got Eric Dyer, Thiago Silva, and Badia Shield. Uh, this is also based on league ratings. That's how uh, himself and Enzo Fernandez make it in. Uh, right wing back we've got Reese James, and we got Hoiberg and Fernandez in midfield. Left wing back Perisic, and then up top Kulovsky, Kane, and Son. Okay. I mean, Emerson Royale's not in there, so that, that, that's <laughs> Jonathan, what's your team? What have you gone for? Well, with some reluctance, I've gone for four-two-three-one, um, which means Silver playing in the back four, which I'm not not entirely happy with. It's very Chelsea heavy, but it, this is, I guess, it's very much on potential rather than what they've done recently. Yeah. So Kepper, James, Silver. Jago Silva, Badia Shield, Chilwell, so all Chelsea so far. There's some talk Kante might be fit. I'm not sure how likely that is, but he's definitely getting towards it. If Kante is fit, him and Enzo Fernandez are the back of midfield. If he's not, Hoybier. Uh, and then Kulisevsky, Mount Mudrick behind Kane. Um, although, possibly Richarlison for Mudrick. I, I've sort of. When I first saw Mudrick, I came at Anfield and Evie was sort of raving about him. I was sort of thinking, oh, I'm not really sure about his finishing. And everything I've seen of him since, my questions about him have, have increased, which worries me. I mean, he's very young and he's very inexperienced. I'm sure it'll come, but it concerns me slightly about him. Okay. Interesting, interesting terms. Very Chelsea heavy from you, from you there, Jonathan. Mason Mount, because he's having his worst season of his career, actually, Mason Mount, or the worst season of his, of his Chelsea career, anyway, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he's he's not had a good season. I mean, he had a bad start of the season. He he sort of came back to form and it sort of looked like he was just getting into form for the World Cup and then quickly fell out of the England team at the World Cup. Um, is that true? Have I just said something nonsensical? No, no, he fell out. The, he, he did fall out of the team in the World Cup. Um, which which is, you know, uh, indicative of the strength England have in those creative areas. But I, I still think if you look at him over the last sort of... Yeah, four years, three, four years. He's such a such an intelligent player. He's such, such a good player. Just knits everything together. So I'd, I think under my management, I think you'd see him. Oh, Wilson's, Wilson's wizard, you'd absolutely see him. Oh, yeah. Right. I build a team around him. Yeah, his, number, his numbers every season for Chelsea, the first three seasons, I think it's three seasons, the numbers had all gone up in terms of goals and assists every season. But this season, they're dramatically down. But I think that probably says more about the environment that he's in than Mason Mount himself, because I, I agree with you. I think, I think he's a fantastic player. So I, I think he'll come back to four. Well, the talk of him that he may leave Chelsea. Actually, his contract, if his contract situation doesn't get resolved in the summer, they'll, they'll sell him by the looks of things. So, yeah, it'd be an interesting one to keep an eye on. Score predictions then for Tottenham against Chelsea. Kieran, it's your maiden show so we'll go to you first. Uh, one of those games I wish both teams would lose but um, I'd probably have to say just based on like Chelsea's poor form at the minute I'd have to say probably Tottenham would just edge it especially as it, they're playing at home so probably 1-0 one 1-0 nil, one nil Tottenham I'm going to go for 2-0 to Tottenham Jonathan 1-0 uh, Tottenham 
one nil to Tottenham. Tottenham Just despite perhaps. having nine nine Chelsea yeah. players, and <laughs> <a> combined eleven. <laughs> yeah, those, those nine Chelsea players, you don't think any of them are going to score against, against no. Tottenham? That's why I've got Kane in there. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I just can't, I can't see Chelsea going to Tottenham and getting anything, but I've been wrong many times before. Let's look at the Premier League form guide in general now then, Kieran. Who, who have we got in there? Yeah, so uh, based on the last six appearances in the Premier League, uh, Bruno Fernandes tops it, uh, followed by Solly March, Bakaya Saka, Marcus Rashford, and then Rodri, Kieran Trippier, Kevin De Bruyne, Ivan Toni, Jack Grealish and Kenny Tete. A few there that have surprised. I'm surprised the Brawn is in the in the top ten, Jonathan. It felt like he'd been in and out, and it felt like he'd, he'd not really been chipping in with goals and assists. I can tell you, I know that because he's in my fantasy football team, so I've been <laughs> seeing those goals and assists not not happen. Anything else that surprises you in there? No, I think I think you're right about uh, De Bruyne. But having said that, I think you saw against uh, RB Leipzig how much they missed him. Um, yeah. So he didn't he didn't play the game he lost against Tottenham, did he? No, he, was oh, so, he came on. He came on. He came yeah. on. Yeah. So, um, I, I get, he's probably one of those players that our standards, our expectations of him are so high that he can still play well, but not quite be those heights. And so you think he's playing poorly, and he's actually just, yeah, he's, he's still doing well, just poorly by his standards. Um, Kenny Tete, I think, I think has been yes. been really good recently. So, uh, as, as I was saying before, I think the algorithm is a marvelous, marvelous thing, and uh, it's, it's another one that's got right. I watched a Fulham game. I can't remember which one it was. And Kenny Tetta, it was absolutely unbelievable at right back. Yeah, he had one of the games of his, of his life, one of the best performances I've seen this season. I just can't remember who, who on earth it, it was against. He was, he was absolutely brilliant. A, a cross between Cafu and Emerson Royale, really, two of the best right backs <laughs> the, the world's ever seen. He was so, so good that day. Yeah, De Bruyne in, in and out. He played against Aston Villa, which, of course, I was absolutely chuffed to see. And I, I think he played quite well in, in that game. Fernandez top. He's kind of he's not going under the radar, Fernandez, Jonathan, but he's he's quite. He, well, I suppose I, I was about to say he's quietly going about his business, which is going under the radar. That's exactly that's exactly what that is. But it, he's having an impact on the game. It's quite weird because he's playing this kind of hybrid role on the right hand side, slashes and number ten sometimes. And Sancho's been coming on and playing number ten. He probably doesn't like it, but it seems to be working quite well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not a fan of him out wide. Uh, I think he's better through the middle. Um, but you know, especially with Ericsson not there, he is he is the, the player they need to knit everything together. So he, he has a key role, and, and and the fact that they've they've got when they, when they have Sancho and Rashford both there, they've got the width, they've got the pace for him to 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 hit with three balls. Uh, so um, but yeah, you know, United need him to be playing well at the minute, and and yeah, he is. Yeah, and you won't believe this. I don't know whether you've looked at the script or not, Jonathan. But there's a there's a Wilson's wizard segment here. Yeah, I've seen that. I kind of I'm, uh, I'm delighted exp- by this. I'll let Kieran explain why we're asking that because I don't actually know the the reasoning. Because what would you have to choose between Fernandez and, and Rashford? What's the, what's the what's the relevance? They're just that they're both Manchester United. Well, this was Ben. So the, the, oh, <laughs> come on, Ben. This is Ben's yeah this dropping is his, his poison into our podcast <laughs> when he's not here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think because um, obviously you know we come into the final. You know, Man United are the top-rated team uh, over the last six games, you know, in terms of form. So they're coming in great form for the final. Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford are both in that top four for form guide. Um, I guess maybe when Bruno's been floating on the right side, Rashford can potentially play there, I guess. Maybe that's the reason and behind this segment. You wouldn't want either on the, on the right. I'll, I'll, I personally wouldn't, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Also, I will say I'm surprised Marcus Rashford's not number one of the form guys because he scores every week. And knowing how that algorithm works, well, actually, I don't know how the algorithm works, but assuming <laughs> how the algorithm works, I would have thought that would have just catapulted him to, to number one in all honesty, Rashford, because he's, he's scoring every week. He's the form player in Europe at the moment. But I'll ask the question because Ben wants it asked, Jonathan. Wilson's <laughs> Wizards, they've got a choice between Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. Who are they signing? I, d- I don't know what the rest of my squad is. I knew you were going to say something along those lines. Um, I can't help. I can't help on on this one. Let's say let's say you've got Emerson Royale. You've got Emerson Royale. <laughs> what well, doesn't matter, does it? Who, yeah. Who's got the lower salary? I'll just take them. You've got Ben Davies on the left as well. Those two are going to come. I mean, look, I, I think. Okay, let's imagine this is some kind of IPL auction thing. This is yeah, my first pick. Uh, I haven't got any other squad. Which would I go for first? I think I'd go for Rashford, just because I think there's more players can do what Fernandes does 
than do what Rashford does. I think to be that goal-scoring threat from wide, um, you combine Rashford with a with an attacking left back, and then you know a, a creative midfielder and a, and a centre forward who can get himself out of the way, then yeah, he gives you goals, and that's and also I'd like to think that the school children in my area will be well fed. Yeah, that that would be he's a nice guy, isn't he? Off the pitch, does it does a lot off the pitch. So you know, Marcus Rashford, good player. Good guy. I think what you were trying to say there, Jonathan, when you led into that segment was that you were pretending you're doing a fantasy football draft because I know how much you love fantasy <laughs> I, think that was, uh, I think that was what you wanted to say there. At the start. How's your team doing? Please tell me. I'm so interested. Oh, I'm, I'm horrendous considering I get paid to talk about football if anyone saw my overall <laughs> points tally this season. I was I did the official fantasy football podcast last season. And I was like, oh, right, this will be a this will be a good this will be a good this might be a nice one to have every now and again. I don't even qualify for it. I'm going to point. So I, can't, I can't. I can't do it. I wouldn't be able to do it now. It's an absolute disgrace. I'm having an awful season. Right then, let's look at the cup final. Then Manchester United against Newcastle. Kieran, Newcastle have been great all season, and still, you know, they're still they're taking this league position where they are in a cup final. If they were offered it at the start of the season, but just as the cup finals come on the on the horizon, things seem to have turned against them a little bit. They've got. Players with injuries who've, who've been missing, players have been suspended. They're now going to be without Nick Pope for this cup final as well. So they've done so well to get to the cup final, but everything seems to have unravelled a little bit in the lead up to it. Yeah, I think a key part of how Eddie Powell's kind of approached this season is having a consistent lineup. Um, and obviously, last few weeks they have suffered a few injuries and obviously suspensions of Bruno Camaras. <clears throat> and uh, as you said, Pope's now out and he's played every prem minute up until that uh, sending off. And even in the League Cup, he's played every game bar one. So, you know, obviously, they consistency has been a key part of, their, part of their game. And in the last few weeks, it has. It's almost like teams have started to work them out in a bit. Maybe that quick start from Liverpool kind of took them over back a bit because they kind of built their game on solidity. Uh, I know when Arsenal played them, you know, they just played as, you know, just couldn't get past them, couldn't break down the defence. Um, but yeah, just maybe losing those first team regulars and potentially, you know, their depth quite isn't quite as strong to keep up with like how they want to play their game. And uh, as you said, they, they've been drawing a lot recently and, you know, it's obviously they've drawn more games now than they've won in the league. I think it's 11 to 10 now. So obviously they might be feeling the effects and you want to come in with confidence when you come into a cup final. Um, but then at the same time, maybe it can, the occasion may play in your favour. You, you feel like the Newcastle fans might potentially might come with more numbers than United. You know, traditionally they do come with a lot of fans. Um, but yeah, obviously it has affected them in recent weeks and, you know, they're going to be playing their, what, third choice goalie. So, you know, it could be a, a long afternoon potentially for the Jordies. Yeah, little did Manchester United know when they played Martin Dubravka in the early rounds of the Carabao Cup. Little did they know it would come back and absolutely be a win for them because he would have, of course, played for, for Newcastle if, if he'd not been cup-tied for, for this one. So Carrius is going to come in and start, Jonathan. Well, we assume it'll be Carrius. It could be Gillespie, I guess, but I think it will probably be Carrius. He's got the, the bigger game experience, I, I would say. I listened to Eddie Howe's press conference on, on Tuesday or an interview with, with Sky, and he was kind of saying... It's, it's a blow, obviously. He's never going to come out and say this is an absolute disaster. But he was saying the foundations of what they've done this season are built on that on that back four. So the way they defend won't, won't change. But there's no doubt that having Carriers behind them instead of Nick Pope, that is, it's, it's going to affect them on the day, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the, the Carriers is, is... The problem is for Carriers that the, the, you say Carriers, you think of the Champions League final. And you think of a disaster it was for him. I think it was the last time he played for an English team, Carriers, potentially. Mm. I mean, he's, he's barely played in, in two years. Um, but he's he was nobody thought he was a terrible goalkeeper before that. Uh, yeah, we, we know he was probably concussed when he made those mistakes. Um, uh, you know, he, he, he played well in that Champions League campaign up to the final. He's, you know, he's not some clown. He's, you know, he's, a, he's a decent professional goalkeeper. Who had you know, one massively bad game, having taken a whack on the head. Um, so I, I don't think people should think that that he's going to be just chucking them in. Uh, and I think, especially in cup finals, the power of the redemption narrative is a thing for to be feared, uh, both for Manchester United and for and for Sunderland fans. I, I certainly fear the Carrius redemption narrative. Um, but Nick Pope has been so good this season, and and you know as Eddie was saying that that relationship with the back four is. Is so important that it, it obviously is a is a setback for them. 
Uh, but I just don't think it's quite as big a setback as, as some people are making out. Very different types of goalkeepers as well. Nick, Nick Pope and Karis. Karis is, you know, the main reason he would have been bought. I would imagine is because of how he is with his feet and his, and his distribution. And that's probably not. But Pope but if you were going to, you'd you'd want it that way around, right? It's it's easier to replace a line keeper with somebody who's good with his feet than to replace somebody who's good with his feet with a line keeper. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's got to say, Karis, don't come forward. You you just ask him not to do something rather than ask him to do something he's not very good at. Well, Nick Pope obviously swept up at the weekend and got himself in a, you know, all, all, all kinds of a mess, didn't he? And he's caused him to miss, miss that guy. I don't think that rule's stupid. I, I don't think they're completely different competitions. Like, I don't, I don't think that he should, he should miss the cup final, but I don't make the rules. I'm, I'm not the rule maker there. Carrius. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I agree. And actually, there's, there's, it's more than that. Because if, if you're in a semi final of a competition and you're desperately striving to get to the final, and you commit a foul that gets you a yellow card that keeps you out of the final or or you know, do what Pope did, you sort of think, well, it's 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 part of that game, it's part of that competition. Whereas if you're in a league game and you're sort of playing it 80% because you're trying to avoid getting the card that keeps you out of the final, yeah, you, you wouldn't play 80% in the semi-final. So it, it does affect the integrity of other games by by not uh, separating out competitions. I also think the cup tied thing's nonsense as well, because in the Champions League, they got rid of that. So you well, can register only, in the second uh, half of it. You can register and, and and play for two teams in the Champions League in the same season. So why can't you play for two teams? Yeah, in the I mean that's, that I guess is slightly different in that there's such an obvious break between group stage and knockout stage, which the January window happens to fall in between. Um, I mean, everybody knew knew what the regulations were at the start. So. No, no, I, I do feel um, for Nick Pope. I do feel it would have been the biggest moment of his career, undoubtedly, and it's been completely taken away from him. I do like your redemption thing, though. I do think there's something in that. Remember that cup final when Mertesacker Saka hadn't played all season against, and then he came in against Chelsea, had an absolute storming mm. game at the back, and Arsenal won the FA Cup. I do think there's something in that that, that people do come in and they they redeem themselves. So maybe it'll be Carrius, Kieran Newcastle. They've only scored once in 2023. Again, I'm learning things on this podcast this week. I'm surprised by that. Was that the goal against Bournemouth? That's the only time they've scored in 2023. Uh, I believe so. Um, well, we, blame, we can just blame Ben if he's wrong. <laughs> so that's what he says there. But no, they haven't been scoring many lately, and um, you know it's been a big problem for them um, scoring goals. Obviously, they did rely a lot on their defensive side of the game, but that's all well and good if you're not scoring goals, as I said. And even in the League Cup this year. Uh, Man United scored 14, they've scored eight. Newcastle, and one of those was an own goal. You know, even the likes of Link. Right there, right there. <laughs> I, I, it's, I can't even blame Ben for this. It's just me reading the script wrong. Oh, Miran's only scored once in 2023. Not oh. Newcastle. <laughs> terrible hosting from me. I take full responsibility for that. That was that was all my fault. We can blame Ben all Because I've suddenly sat there thinking, I'm sure Isak came on and scored a last-minute goal in, 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 one of the, in one of the games. And I look back at the script. Yeah. Apologies to Ben. Apologies to everyone listening to this podcast. That's purely <laughs> bad hosting for me. Even, even the best can have bad days. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, yeah, it has been a bit of an issue. And as I said, in the League Cup, yeah, even the likes of Lincoln and Blackburn score more goals than them. Um, and only one striker on their side has actually scored in the League Cup and he's not actually there anymore, Chris Wood. Um, so, and Almiron, you know, he, he obviously had that great purple patch near the end of last year, but since then he hasn't looked the same. I'm not too sure why. Um, you know, between the start of October and the end of December, he scored eight of his 10 goals. In that time, only Haaland scored more, but then before and after, then he's only scored once. So it is a bit of concern. I mean, it is good to have Isaac back. You know, he is a top player. We know how good he is. You know, he's young. You know, he's fast. He can. He knows that find a back in the net. But uh, it has the goals have dried up, and you know, and then now they're starting to let in goals, which is the biggest issue. I think. You know, they've conceded in their last three league games after keeping what was that six clean sheets in a row in the league. So it is a bit of a problem. Yeah, I mean, two of the best signings of the last 18 months in, in the Premier League or in the world as an entirety have been Bruno Gamarej and Casimera. You've got some stats there, Kieran, for uh, head-to-head for the two of them. So Casimera actually comes up on top when it comes to most things on this side. In fact, he actually comes up on top when it comes to assists. He's got five to Gamarej's three, although Gamarej has scored more goals, three to two, which you'd expect being slightly... F- more attacking midfield, you'd say. Um, but surprisingly, they both got the same amount of key passes per 90, which is at 1.2. Uh, 
And then from there, Casemiro does lead the way in both passes per 90, uh, tackles per 90 and interceptions per 90, which I suppose you would expect as the more defensive-minded midfielder. But um, I do find it quite interesting that he, in some more of the attacking areas, uh, Casemiro does seem to lead the way there, you know, when Gomez is meant to be the more attacking midfielder. Yeah, I think Casemiro's got a few offset paces, hasn't he? He's got he's come up for corners and and free yeah. kicks and, and scored a few goals. But there's no doubt that those two players, Jonathan, they're they're absolutely key to what both sides do. They both missed games through suspension recently. It would have been a poorer final without those two playing. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I think one of the reasons that Newcastle have been conceding goals recently is Gamarish not being there. That he helps them hold the ball better. He just gives them that solidity at the back of the field. I know he's a he's a different type of player to Casemiro. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think he his his role is not merely creative. I think I think he does help them defensively as well. Um, and I, you know, in terms of Casemiro getting more assists, he's just got better, quicker players to to hit with forward passes as well. That you know, if you're if you're playing to Rashford and Sancho, it's 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 different to to Almiron and and Jorlinton or, or San Maximan or whoever's playing on the left in Newcastle. So it's it's just the yeah you know, the way the teams play. United score more goals, so. Casemiro gets more assists. I don't think that's necessarily something to to, to, to downgrade Gamarish on. But yeah, it's it's good that both of them are free of suspension, and uh, yeah, their, their their battle in the middle of midfield will will be key. And Kieran, I mean, Manchester United have, have rotated heavily in the cups, as you'd expect. So it seems that different fullbacks have played for Manchester United in, in the League Cup compared to the Premier League. But you'd imagine they're going to go full strength for this cup final. You would imagine so. Like, I mean, they haven't won a trophy since under Jose Mourinho. I mean, they've got a great chance to win potentially multiple trophies this year. They are still competing on four fronts, but this is a great opportunity for Ten Hag to um, get off to a, what, a great start after only a couple of months in the job. But yeah, as you said, they have been sticking with Wan-Bissaka and Malaysia for the most part in the League Cup. And they do make up the top six for League Cup ratings for Man United for those to have played 200 plus minutes. Um, but when it does come to a final, you do want to play your best. And Darlow and Shaw do rank as two of the top players for Man United this season in the league. Um, but Wan Bissaka did play well when he did fill in for Darlow. Um, and maybe the argument's there to blame. He might be the slightly more attack minded fullback. And as I said, when Darlow was injured, he actually performed to a, quite a credible level, which many people may have been surprised about. You know, many would have potentially not even seen him in Man United shirt this season. So it would be good if he could potentially start. But as you said, it's a final, great opportunity to win a first trophy. So, you know, you would expect him to, for Ten Hag to go full strength, you know, from throughout the pitch. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to this game on Sunday. I think it's, it's going to be a real spectacle, Jonathan. It's, it's one of those ones where whoever wins it, you feel like it gives that new regime lift off. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been times when United maybe have been slightly sniffy about the League Cup, but they're in no position to be, say, Manchester United. Uh, they're in no position to, be, to 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 take that attitude at the minute. Um, you've obviously got the Barcelona game tonight, which which is huge for them, and that that could have repercussions. But um, yeah, they, they're desperate for for a trophy just to to get things going. Uh, Newcastle haven't won anything since 1955, so that's a long time. Yeah, I mean, there's a little smile on your face as you as, as you said that. I just it's, it's just interesting. It's it's longer ago than 1973. <laughs> it's not good, is it, when you go when you 1973 is the most recent the team in the areas won something. I can't even say anything. Villa haven't won anything since 1996, and bloody Birmingham have won a trophy more recently than Villa, which is an absolute disgrace. Well, I've got uh, I've got two Newcastle supporting mates coming down on Saturday to stay over, so. Thankfully, they're going straight home after the games. So I don't have to put up. With I was going to say that was that was a, a mistake potentially if they were coming well, back. Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just too, I'm just too good. I'm just too nice a person. Nice guy. I'll go around telling everyone in the industry, Jonathan Wilson, good guy. Nice guy, <laughs> do anything for you. You need to stay at his house. He'll let you stay at his house. I've been spreading that round for years, quite frankly. Let's do the combined 11s then. I'm interested to see what what's come up with here. Uh, Jonathan, you go first this time. Let's mix it up. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. I've got six six Manchester United players, five Newcastle United players. such a chemistry. I don't even need to ask the question now of how, how many. You just do it <laughs> automatically. Um, so it's a 4 2 3 1. De Gea in goal, Trippier at right back, Varane and Botman together in the middle, Shaw at left back, Casemiro and Gamarish together at the back of midfield, uh, 
I've gone Sancho ahead of Almiron, which I, I did, uh, did have a bit of a wobble over. But um, if it had been in Almiron's golden period, then Almiron, but that's over. So Sancho. That's, uh, it, that's, it, that's why you've gone for Sancho. <laughs> uh, Bruno Fernandes and Rashford, and then Callum Wilson up front. To be fair, to be fair I've just said that. It was some very fair side, I think, that, you, that you've picked there. I would say you've got there yeah, with that six and five, so yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, good team, good team. What first goal come up with, Kieran? Well, we we had two originally. Um, we had one where we just did it based on the Carabao Cup ratings, but uh, I don't think we were too impressed with that one. And considering most teams are probably going to go full strength, we decided to kind of mix it up with a League Cup slash Premier League ratings eleven. Who would have who would have been in goal in that team? Out of interest, it would have been like, Tom Heaton. Tom Heaton would, would have been in goal. <laughs> if I do a lot, I've got a lot of time for Tom Heaton, actually. But then let's, have, let's have the real team. The, the, real, the, 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 the real team just sees United um, with six to five. Um, David Ahead does go in goal. Uh, we've got back four, Kieran Trippier, Fabian Shaw, Lissandra uh, Martinez, and Luke Shaw. Three-man midfield. We've got both Brunos and Casemiro, and then front three of Miguel Miron, Marcus Rashford, and Joe Linton. Okay. Interesting that the Jonathan, you picked your two centre backs and who scored have gone for the other end of the partnership with, with theirs. I, I find that quite interesting. I don't know whether you want to debate that. Is there a reason why you picked those two centre halves? I just thought that was interesting. Um, obviously, my you know, I, I admire the algorithm more than anything else. So I, I will I will withdraw and, and uh I mean, I, I think, I think it's very hard to map defending statistically. Uh, that a lot of what good defending is, is being in the right position so the ball doesn't come near you, and that is incredibly hard to map with data. So yeah, so your team's better. Yeah. <laughs> I, if I if I'd have done one, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'll start doing them in the segment. I would have I would have probably gone for Adam Martinez. I would have thought. That might have been what I'd. What I, don't I think Botman's been really, really good this season. No, he has. He has done. I just quite like Veranda Martinez as a, as a partnership. So yeah, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and, and normally I kind of do go for partnerships. So, yeah. Yeah. The one that was no doubt really was Trippier. Uh, yeah. Right back, although that feels yeah. harsh on Dallow because Dallow's yeah. been, been very good mm. this season. Fair play. Like I said, this is going to be. It's going to be a good final. It's two, two teams that are on an upward trajectory at the moment, which I think. Feels a little bit rare at times with 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 cut funds. You feel like both these teams generally are on a, on a up on, on an up. Sorry, after rotten spells in, in in the last five six years. So yeah, this would be a really good cup final at the weekend. Let's predict what's going to happen then, Jonathan. What's the score going to be in the Carabao Cup final? One nil to Manchester United. One nil to. I've just said it's going to be a classic, and then you've predicted one nil. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Kieran. You're welcome. Uh, I think uh, United uh, Man United might just edge it two one. 2-1, I was going to go for 2-1. I'm going to have Newcastle to go 1-0 up, but Manchester United to, yeah. to, to win the Cup on 2-1. Marcus Rashford will score the winner because he scores every single week at the moment. Let's finish then with the Just A Minute segment. A lot of pressure on you here, Kieran. This isn't, isn't easy to just do a, a, a Just A Minute segment, I wouldn't say. But luckily for you, Jonathan's going first. I mean, Champions League chasing Fulham against relegation-threatened Wolves, Jonathan. Yeah, since the World Cup, Fulham have played nine games, won six and thrown once, and 19 points. Um, that includes, what does that say in my notes? The fortunate win. I couldn't read the words on there for fortunate win at Brighton. See, this is how you do it just a minute section. It should be as slick as this. Um, <laughs> you, should, you should spend a minute trying to re read a word and then get interrupted by the host. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th th yeah, they're six, only four points behind Spurs. So you could really put pressure on with with a win here. Uh, Wolves, second and Lopetegui in the league as uh, one five drawn three lost four, um, but they lost to Bournemouth last game. So there has been an improvement, but perhaps not quite as much as as they would like. They're, they're still fifteen, so only three points above the relegation zone. So not out of trouble at all. Um, it was goalless at Molyneux early in the season. I think it'd be tight again. Kenny and Cabano out for Fulham. A doubt over Mitrovic. Uh, which is huge for them because they've only lost 26% 26 games when he's played, 44% when he hasn't. Uh, Gladzic, Huang and Bibigal Traore all out for Wolves. Uh, but I think Fulham will just have the edge. And so I think they will win 1-0. 1-0 to Fulham. Kieran? Uh, yeah, I think 1-0 to Fulham. And I'm going to go for 2-0 to Fulham. Kieran, you've got Everton against Aston Villa. The honour of talking about Aston Villa. <laughs> Yeah, so Everton returned to winner ways after the Merseyside uh, derby defeat with one-nil win over Leeds. 
Uh, they've now won both their home games since Sean Dyche took charge, including the first the first game in charge against Arsenal. Prior to his arrival, they had only won two home games all season in the league, and they're now one point clear of the relegation zone. Uh, Villa, despite taking the lead twice last Saturday, they lost 4-2 uh, to two stoppage times goals to Arsenal. Uh, this now means they've lost three games in a row for the first time this season. Uh, their longest winless one this season has been four games, which was two draws followed by two losses. So, and if they don't win here, it will, it will match that. Uh, they've won only three times away from home, um, but all of those have come under Unai Emery, which is the one positive. Um, in the last seven games between these sides, Villa are actually unbeaten and they've won the last three times. But uh, considering how Everton, how solid they look at home under Sean Dyche and Villa's form, I'm going to go with a 1 1 draw. Jonathan? Also 1 1. I'm going to have to go for a Villa win. Villa need a win. 2 1 to Villa, I will say. Goodison. Villa have won the last two years at Goodison Park, so hopefully that continues. Yes, Jonathan, West Ham Forest, the Marlon Harewood Derby. Off we go. West Ham, uh, I think it's slightly gone under the radar as far as uh, relegation threats concerned. They're third bottom. Uh, they had looked like they improved. They had that win against Everton. They got draws against Newcastle and Chelsea, which which seemed like decent results. But then they're absolutely awful in the defeated Spurs. That was sort of the worst of David Moyes' football, which obviously I saw an awful lot of at Sunderland. Um, in the last 11 games, they've only won one and drawn three. So they're in big trouble. Forest, exactly the opposite, up to 14th now, five points clear of the relegation zone, which considering how poor their start was, is some achievement. Um, their away form is bad, though. They've got the worst away form in the league, just 6.7 from 11 games. But generally, they are improving. Uh, last seven games have, have yielded 12 points for them. Uh, they won the equivalent fixture 1 0 at the City Ground, although West Ham were pretty unlucky in that one. Corne out, Zuma, Lucas, Pakatara, doubts. Uh, for West Ham, while Forest have 11 players either out or doubtful. Um, and I think their away form might just overwhelm them. So West Ham to win 1 0. Uh, I'm going to 2 0 Forest. It's a big one there. Uh, Kieran? I'm going to go 1 1. 1 1. Something different there for each of us. Leicester v Arsenal, then, Kieran, the Paul Dickov derby. <laughs> um, so Leicester, after winning two games in a row by where they scored four goals. They ended up losing 3-0 last weekend away to Man United. Uh, they've won four times at home this season and only three of them have actually come in the league, one of which was in the Carabao Cup. Um, and in terms of home points, they've actually only Southampton have accumulated fewer points than them than their uh, 12 that they've accumulated at home. Um, so worrying times on home soil. But Arsenal, they ended a four-game winless run in all competitions, beating Aston Villa last weekend. Uh, two late goals in stoppage time alongside City drawing to Forest meant they returned to the top of the Premier League. And they actually have the best array record in the league uh, with 28 points. The next best is City with 21. Um, and this fixture does generally produce quite a few goals. Uh, so I'm going to go with a 3-1 win for Arsenal. Hmm. I will go. I was going to go 3-1, so I'll just stick with it. I'm going to go 3-1 to Arsenal. Jonathan? 2-1 to Arsenal. 2-1 to Arsenal. Jonathan, you've got Leeds v Southampton. Could have been a could have been a tasty one with Jesse Marsh going back, but he didn't get the job, so it's not him. Leeds v Southampton. The Rod Wallace derby, if you will. I really couldn't think of anyone you've you've done well for me. Um Battle of the Bottom Two, uh both both obviously in deep trouble. Uh Leeds, I think the before Christmas you sort of thought they'd either got to back Jesse Marsh or sack him, and unfortunately they end up doing both spending money yeah. for him in, in January and then getting rid of him. So Javi Garcia has come in and he's got a lot of players who he may not necessarily have wanted. Um, he was the longest serving Watford manager under the Pozzos, uh, which is, is is an achievement of... of well, not, not to be scoffed. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I think he's a he's a sensible signing for them, but they really do need a, a turnaround quickly. Um, two wins in the last 20 in the league. And the two points from safety, Southampton a point further behind, but they did get that surprising win at Chelsea uh, in their first game under Ruben Selish, uh, who's still obviously angling for that job. Um, before the Chelsea win, uh, they had nine defeats in the previous ten in the league. Um, drew two-two at St Mary's. I'm going to be a draw again. I'm going to say one-one. The toughest big game. This tough one to call. Uh... 
I will say I'll go I'll have to go one one as well. Sit on the fence. Kieran. Uh I'm gonna go one nil Southampton. Might take some confidence from last week. One nil to Southampton, that'd be a, a terrible defeat for, for those. They've been I mean they're in huge trouble anyway, but they'd be even in even bigger trouble. Kieran, you finish with Bournemouth against Man City. I want to say the Nathan Aki derby, but he still plays for Man City, so I can't say it. So, yeah, Bournemouth against Man City. Yeah, so uh, Bournemouth recorded their first win since before the World Cup last weekend. Uh, they won one year away to Wolves. Uh, it's actually a fifth win altogether this season in the league, three of which have come at home. Uh, they lost their second game of the season against Man City, and that was by a 4 0 scoreline after they had beat uh, Villa 2 0 in the opening game. Uh, Man City failed to take, uh, retake top spot, uh, drawing 1 1 with Forest, despite what you would argue a very dominant display from them. Uh, they've dropped 21 points this season. Um, last season, it was sorry, they've dropped 21 points last season. This season, they've already dropped 20 in the league. And of course, they come in this game on the back of a 1 1 draw against Leipzig. Um, but you do feel like with the form of the well, how the two sides have done this season and Man City generally do score quite a few goals against Bournemouth. I think since 2015, they've scored four or more goals on five occasions. So I'm going to go over a 3-0 win for Man City. I'm going to go 3-1 to Manchester City. Jonathan? 2-0 to City. 2-0 to City. Jonathan, are they back? Are they not? You finish with Crystal Palace against Liverpool. Yeah, well, that is the question. Um yeah, they they had those two very impressive performances or seemingly impressive performances against Everton, Newcastle, Liverpool, uh, but then just torn apart by Real Madrid. Although they, they did have a better XG in that game, slightly oddly. Um, so Real Madrid scored with five of their seven shots. Uh, so maybe it wasn't quite as bad as it appeared, but it did seem they ripped apart. Uh, you do wonder how much that will set them back, just as it felt they were getting players back for, from injury. Uh, so they're, they're without Thiago Luis Diaz, Canato, and Arthur Mello, but they do have Jota, Firmino um, uh, coming back. Uh, Palace have had no home win since the 6th of November. They only had one win at all in that time. They've had real problems scoring goals. Only one win in the last 12. They have drawn four of the last five, and those have been against Manchester United, Newcastle, Brighton and Brentford. So they are taking points off, off, off good teams in good form. They're without Johnson, Zaha, Tompkins and Ferguson. Doubts over Ward and Mitchell, but I still think Liverpool will be too good for them. I'm going to say 1-0 Liverpool. One that's Liverpool, Kieran. I'm going to say two one Liverpool. Two one Liverpool. I'm going to go for two two Crystal Palace against Liverpool, and that is it for us here on the Edge of the Box podcast this week. Thanks to Kieran and Jonathan for joining me. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in and watched as well. We'll be back next week to find out when that is. Subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on. Enjoy all the football at the weekend, and as ever, please stay safe.